This episode is brought to you by our sponsor, Third Wave Water. Do you ever wonder why the coffee you make at home never tastes as good as the coffee you buy at a coffee shop? The secret is they spend thousands of dollars to make the perfect water. Your water, whether that's tap, spring, or bottled, is defined by the location of where the water comes from. And a lot of things can affect that, including minerals. That's why drinking water tastes different in different places. And if you're a coffee connoisseur, you'll know it changes the way your coffee tastes. Most people don't know how to achieve the right balance to get a great cup of coffee. I know I don't. Don't let Jason near the coffee pot in the morning. I'm in charge of that one. But Third Wave Water has a formula of minerals that can make brewing magic. Just add their packet to a gallon of distilled water. And you can do that in any brewing machine. We put it in our Brita filter and then we pour it into the back of our Keurig. But it can go into a French press, a regular coffee pot, however you're brewing. Really, the way we did it was set it and forget it. We filled out the Brita, put it in, and whenever we want to make coffee, the Brita's right there. Fill the water back up. And how much would you spend for the perfect cup? I can tell you right now, I spend about three, sometimes four dollars a day. And you get the small cup. Yeah. But with this, it's as little as 10 cents per cup. And get this, recently at the U.S. Brewers Cup Championship, the number one and two place finishers brewed their coffee with third wave water. Now remember, it's not coffee. It's what makes your coffee taste better. It's the perfect water to make the perfect cup. We've tried it and can attest to it. So check out their website at thirdwavewater.com and use our promotional code, CLATCH, for 10% off your first order. That's CLATCH, K-L-A-T-C-H, for 10% off your first order. Game of Thrones, oh my god. There's dragons. You gotta watch it. You see them, there's this fight scene. Winter's coming. Winter's coming. Winter's coming. Winter's coming. Winter's coming. Mr. Kari's me. I cannot give you back your homes or restore your dead to life, but perhaps I can give you justice in the name of our Welcome to the Coffee Clatch Crew Game of Thrones Season 6 Recap. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino. And today we have our special guest. We have another Lomangino in the house. My sister, Michelle. Hello! We finally get you back on the podcast. So glad to be back. Welcome home, my queen. All right, guys. Well, we have a lot to talk about today. As we said last time, we're going to split this into two episodes. This first one, a season six recap and bonus information, and next time, a season seven prepper. So for this episode, we're going to start off with a fun trivia game. Then we'll go into recapping the important events from season six and discussing the differences, book to TV, as well as some more fun bonus facts. Yeah, this should be great. So basically, we're just gearing up. We're getting ready for winter with this episode. So much time has gone by. We've gone through Westworld, Mr. Robot, The Magicians, Sherlock. So we've got to get our brains wrapped around this again, and we hope to get your brains wrapped around it as well. So for this episode, we're just going to recap season six. We're going to get your juices flowing, get you back in GOT mode, and next time we'll think about this season, theories and predictions, what we think is coming up. And all this will be right before Game of Thrones season seven. So it Jason- does feel like it's been a lifetime since the last season. 
in all fairness, it has been a longer wait than it normally is since they pushed back the premiere date. They had to push back the filming so the locations they were filming in could actually be experiencing winter. Isn't it always cold somewhere? Couldn't they have found locations that were still cold? They absolutely could have, but they have some that are set locations now where they film at different areas that they had to stay with. Yeah, we're already familiar with the locations. Also, you have to get licensing for that location. You have to pay fees, all that stuff. Yeah. The towns where they do much of this filming kind of make money off of it now, right? Because they have people come just to see the fields where they film Game of Thrones. There are some different tourist attractions going on. We'll talk a little about that next time because my uncle travels a lot and he actually brought us back a flyer, a brochure from one of those tours where you can go and see different locations. The one in Ireland? Yes. But I know we had discussed on a previous podcast how anytime they pick up someplace new, such as when they did the filming of Cersei's Naked Walk of Shame. It was a huge deal trying to get that all approved. Shame. All right, so Jason and Michelle, are you ready? I'm going to pit you up against each other. I'm ready. Are you ready? I suck at trivias, but let's do it. When you play the Game of Thrones, you win or you die. So here's what's going to happen. I'm going to be the moderator because I've seen the answers. You guys will will try to guess the correct answers. You're going to write them down as we go along. This will give the clatchers a second to think about it, come up with your answers, and then you'll reveal them to me, and I'll tell you if they were right or wrong. At the end, we'll see who got more correct. Do we get partial credit? Ooh, I, we could, I guess, do half credit on some of these if, if you right. get some of it right. <laughs> So if you're playing along at home, there will be 20 questions, and these are all nicknames. So many of the characters on Game of Thrones have nicknames, mostly based on specific deeds, behavior, or a distinguishing physical feature. Many are actually derogatory. I will give you one, so this is your gimme, one out of 20, so that you have an example. We mentioned this last time. Jamie Lannister, for example, is often called the Kingslayer. Kingslayer. So that's what we're looking for from all of these characters. That's probably one of the two that I would actually know. <laughs> Way to go, Chris. <laughs> I'm sorry. I tried to give you the easiest one. Number one is going to be the only exception, I think, to the rule on this list. It is actually a shortened name instead of an alternative nickname. So number one is Eddard Stark. Don't say it out loud. Everybody's favorite Stark father who died at the end of season one. What was his nickname? Basically set up our emotions and let us know that this show is not like other shows. The people you love, we will kill. Many of them. The more you love them, the faster they die. I remember last season, that was often our issue. We're like, I'm really starting to love this character. And then we're like, oh, no. (laughs) No. (laughs) We can't love them. They'll die. All right, guys. So turn your boards around. What do you have? I have Ned. Ned! You think my life is some precious thing to me. That I would trade my honor for a few more years of what of war. I learned how to die a long time ago. If you said Ned, you got that one right. Okay, number two, you got Jamie Lannister as the Kingslayer. There's your freebie. Number three, Tyrion Lannister. And now we're starting with the actual nicknames. He actually has two. I will hurt you for this. A day will come 
when you think you're safe and happy and your joy will turn to ashes in your mouth. And you will know the debt is paid. Okay. I'm in. Reveal your answers. Can you read this? The half man and Jason, you have the imp and both are correct. Woo! Perfect. I also put the hand just in case. Oh, or yeah. He, he is hand of the king. That's true. He's twice That's now. Right. Twice the hand. He was the hand of the king and now he's the hand of the, the should queen. be queen. Right? Queen. Good job, guys. Why are you happy? I will warn you, they get a little harder as they go along. But the next one up, hopefully you'll know the next two. The next one up is Varys. Mm. Our bald-headed friend who is now over there working with Daenerys. But think about when he was in King's Landing. What did the people call him? Oh, shoot! <laughs> Power resides where men believe it resides. It's a trick, a shadow on the wall. And a very small man can cast a very large shadow. I'm just, I don't know. I'm going through, like, he's, he has everyone's ears. Mm -hmm. Like, he's, like, the whisperer uh -huh. or something, right? Whisperer? Well, that was actually his official title. I can tell you guys that that was not his nickname. His official title on the council was Master of Whispers. Oh, my brain is there. It's just not there, mm -hmm. there. This is a one-worder, though, his nickname. I got it. <laughs> you got it? Yep. At first, I wrote no pee-pee. <laughs> that's what no I would pee -pee. think. That's all I could think. Actually, that's another nickname. No PP? Eunuch? That's what now, I was going to yeah. put. All right. Answers, please. I remembered. It's the spider? That is correct. The spider. Oh, I would have had no he idea. He weaves his web and gets everyone silently caught up in it. I did get hung up on the eunuch. A lot of people actually call him the eunuch. It's not his real nickname, but I will give you a half a point for that. I'll take it. They do call him that. Okay, along those lines, number five is Peter Baelish. So he is more commonly known by his nickname. Oh, yes, I got this one. Look around you. We're all liars here. And every one of us is better than you. All right, so since that's an easy one, let me see what you got. Little finger for both of you. Correct. We did it. You guys I do feel very rusty on my fun facts. You guys are doing great, though. Five out of 20. Okay, now we come to the two brothers. And this could be a little tough because you probably don't know them by first name commonly. But okay. number six is Sandor Clegane. There's Sandor and Gregor. Fuck the king's god. Fuck the city. Fuck the king. Guys, what do you have for Sandor? The Hound. Good job. And she even draws a picture. I got that confused for a long time as well. I don't think I would be doing as good as you guys if I hadn't brushed up on this. I don't think they've ever referred to him by his real first name. That's why this is fun. It's going to be interesting as where we go along. Some of them... It's only by their nicknames, and some of them are not mentioned that often on the TV show. If you're a book reader, you will probably know their nicknames, and that's where you clatchers out there may have the edge in this game. Mm -hmm. All right, so number seven is his brother, Gregor Clegane. Easy. You can give me his name for some bonus points. There's actually a full title to this name. 
But I don't have that. But let me ask you this. What's his name now that he's... Uh, Sir Robert Strong, uh, since okay. he's been zombified. Yeah. He's, Why did they change his name? Well, he's a new man. He's like a zombie now. And Cersei is not telling people, even though everybody knows it's him. He's wearing that helmet all the time, and she's not telling people what it is or... Or who it is. Huh. Who it is. Shady. Yeah, very scary. Okay, what do you guys have for Gregor Clegane? The mountain. The mountain. Yes. Very good. And the full name for that is The Mountain That Rides. That's a badass name. Seriously. And named so because of how huge he is. People would say he actually looked like a mountain riding. So we're doing a lot better than I thought. Well, I'm doing a lot better than I thought I would. I knew you Me guys too. would do good. Okay, I'm going to throw the first wrench in. Wrenching. Uh-oh. And then we'll go back to an easier one after this. This one a lot of people probably do not know. Number eight is Gior Mormont. Not Jora, everybody's favorite friend who has grayscale, but Gior, who used to be the Lord Commander of the Night's Watch and gave John his sword Longclaw. He's dead now. If you guys remember, there was a mutiny when they traveled north. His own men, the men of the Night's Watch, turned on him and killed him. We found out later that he was Jorah's father. It took us a long time to kind of make that connection. Yeah. And his nickname is sort of a term of endearment. It's two words. Do you think your brother's war is more important than ours? No. When dead men and worse come hunting for us in the night, do you think it matters who sits on the Iron Throne? Good. Because I want you and your wolf with us when we ride out beyond the wall tomorrow. Okay, guys, what do you have for Gior? I have Sock Jora. <laughs> like Sock Drawer? Oh, my Stupid. goodness. I don't know. <laughs> old Bear, Michelle, you sneaky dog, you got it. He nice. is the Old Bear. See, she's good with details. That's why we got no. her on here. You gave me hints, and if the name of the sword that he gave to John... Was long claw good deductive reasoning? See, and for those of you who are familiar with houses, House Mormont is associated with the bear. With the bear, exactly. You could kind of get there sneakily. Okay, the next one should bring us back into familiar territory. Lady Olena. This is Olena Tyrell, the matriarch, the old woman of the Tyrell family. Best character on the show, hands down. Miss Whip Smart, I love her. <laughs> what is your name again? Barbara? Obara. Obara. You look like an angry little boy. Don't presume to tell me what I need. Forgive my sister. What she lacks in diplomacy, Do she makes... shut up, dear. Anything from you? No. Good. Let the grown women speak. Do you know it, Jason? He's got yes. it. And he's got a terrible memory. I'm impressed. Really? This is what happens when you podcast about a show for three seasons. Not a clue. Okay, Michelle's got nothing. Jason, what do you have? Queen of Thorns. Queen of Thorns is correct. I knew the word thorn was in there. You knew their All house All I could think sigil, of was rose. Yep, is the rose, and their words are growing strong. Ooh. That's very cool. Tricky, tricky. Okay, number 10. We will also take two different answers. Matter of fact, I think he has even more than that. We're talking about Theon. What do they call Theon Greyjoy? 
All right. Okay, what do you got? Reek. Reek and Reek. Reek. <laughs> Good job. You guys both got that. He goes by Reek. Reek. That's a good name for you. He also goes by the Turncloak, more commonly in the book. I, I would have never gotten that one. Dion Turncloak. Yeah, I feel bad for him. How much can one dude take? He's had a rough, rough ride. Another one I think you'll know, number 11, Melisandre. What do they call her? This war of five kings means nothing. The true war lies to the north, my king. Death marches on the wall. Only you can stop him. Turn your boards Ready? around. The Red Woman. We you both guys got both it. got it. And Woo. word for word, for the way I had it. For some reason, I was thinking the Red Witch. Me I was going to take too. that, too, because that's what Davos calls her. It is? That's his not-so-nice translation. Uh. Hey, guys, more than halfway through. Number 11 will be another stumper. And again, I think this is a book reader thing. I understand if you don't get it right. Loris Tyrell, so Marjorie's brother, hmm. the one who used to be together with Renly. It's also another one that sounds like a title. I don't know if it runs in the family, but kind of like it did with Lady Olena. Okay, what do you guys got? I don't know. Got nothing. Nothing. I don't blame you. Nothing. But they called him the Knight of Flowers. Oh, I would have never had Because of their house sign. Damn book readers. All right. If you flex your brains a little, I think you will remember number 13. You just haven't heard it in a while. Fermance Raider. Oh, man. The one who led the wildlings. I, I do know Mance, but... Another title one. Kind of on a run with that. The next, oh. next one will be as well. I think I know it. I think I got this one. How about you? I think so. I think my wording's off, but That's I think I That's all right. Have it. Let's see. The king beyond the wall, perfection, Jason. Woo! The king behind the wall. The king behind the wall. I'll give you half. Michelle got half for one. That's just a preposition. He got it. <laughs> oh, thank you, Michelle. Oh, that makes him sound like a, a hider, a coward, though. <laughs> it does. The king behind it the wall. It. <laughs> Next one is also a book one. Hopefully the last one that you guys would not be familiar with. Number 14 is Davos. So Davos Seaworth. It's another in these. Sounds like a title. I love Davos. And as a hint, you can think about what he is known for. What event from the past? I don't know much about his past. I remember him saying he was from Flea Bottom originally. Mm-hmm. Nothing. I'm out of this one. Jason, anything? I wrote something night. I know it's something night. You are correct. The something night. Something nice. But you're missing the most important part. It's the Onion Knight. Onion. And this, of course, comes from the story of how Davos came to be during Robert's Rebellion when Stannis was stranded at the castle, holed up, him and his men were dying, and Davos smuggled them in onions. And that's how he became close to Stannis in the first place. How do you smuggle Davos? in onions? Can't they smell them? He, Even if they don't see them, they're like, I smell onions, like a <laughs> shit ton of onions. <laughs> he came in at night around the backside of the castle in a very small boat under the cover of darkness. And he was able to slip right by. I feel like back in these times, Game of Thrones was real. Everything would just smell. Every person would have an odd smell to them. Kingdom. Uh, yeah, the conditions were disgusting. And 
there was actually a very vivid scene. Those of you who read the books, what happened to Danny, actually to her people that were stuck outside of the walls and all got sick. The story of the pale mare. Pretty gross. He goes in depth with that. Okay, guys, we have five left. Number 15 is Sam. Samwell Tarly. And again, he's got two nicknames. We will take either. Sam. One from his past, a little more derogatory, and one that's more recent. He drove a dagger into the walker's heart. He risked his own life to save mine more than once. He's a greater warrior than either of you will ever be. The sword stealer from his father. <laughs> no, <that's laughs> I'm just not kidding. It. Nothing. The fans are yelling at you guys right now. I know. The Slayer. Sam the yep. Slayer. Perfect. That was it? Yep. That's it. I got it too. Oh, you guys you both got it. I got it too. I will give it to you both. What, so what was his first name? Sir Piggy. For a long time when he first came to the wall, because Aww. of how big he was, they called him Sir Piggy. Moving on, number 16 is Brendan Tully. That's Uncle Brendan, who we most recently saw at River Run. When Jamie and the Freys teamed up t- to take the castle back, they took Edmure hostage. And he wouldn't give up the castle. Brynden would not give up the castle and wound up dying at the end of last season. So what is his nickname? As long as I'm standing, the war is not over. This is my home. I was born in this castle, and I'm ready to die in it. Okay, what do you got, guys? Ready? What do you got... Blackfish, good we both job. Brendan Blackfish. Are you appreciating my illustrations? I, oh, we didn't see it. I'm thoroughly appreciating them. <laughs> and I am thoroughly appreciating how on point you guys are tonight. All right, take your minds back again. We haven't seen this character in a while. He is deceased now. Jason, your favorite, Oberyn Martell. Oberyn! Exactly. Oh, he was, he was great. I loved him. So he was called this often. You can think about where he comes from as well. Okay, ladies and gents. an answer. <laughs> let's see what you have. I have the Red Viper. Correct. Snake, Snake in the, the grass. grass. Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. I want to give you creativity points, but I can't. That is so true. And actually, Michelle, basically, that's what the nickname means. But, Jason, you are correct, so you take the point. What is it? The Red Viper? The yeah. Red Viper of Dorne. What an awesome name. And they refer to the women as the sand snakes, right? Correct. That's right. Snake in the grass. This next one is along those lines. Character that has never actually been on the show, but is referred to often by his nickname. Ares Targaryen. We're talking about the guy who used to rule the kingdom before all of this began that Jaime killed. This brings me back to season one, where the king is the actor from... A Knight's Tale. A Knight's Tale. Mm. Yeah, he was awesome in that. Heath Ledger. <laughs> but the king, I don't know. He was like Heath's, the king, the guy no, who played the king. Yeah, I'm not talking about King Robert. No, I know. Oh, okay. I'm saying it reminds me of the guy. Yes, of the guy that was his announcer when no, Heath would. The announcer was a skinny guy who is And in, the bigger guy with the dark hair. That's is right. the one yeah. who played King that Robert. That his buddy. Yeah, it does resemble Baratheon. That's funny. Are they the same person? They might be the same actor. It's, it's, I think it's the same actor. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's the same guy. Isn't that crazy? Think, yeah. Well, he looks very different. He aged. In, in Game of Thrones. A lot. 
And the announcer is the guy who's on Avengers. Yes, you're right. That was a great cast. Okay, guys, so what do they call Ares Targaryen? Yes, yeah, so the, the right king. I brought up the wrong king. <laughs> yeah. The Mad King. The Mad King. Yeah. That's probably, I would say, the most well-known nickname on the series. Yeah. yeah. All the Two. stories about how mad he was kind of makes me wish that he did make it onto the show. Well, there are some spinoffs that we will talk about in our next podcast. Maybe the Mad King will be part of that. I would love to get some Mad King scenes. Ooh, Michelle, Jason is beating you by one point. (gasps) And we have two left to go. It's on. Now, number 19 is going to be hard. You might not know it, either of you. What do they call Brienne? Also a derogatory term from her past. All this is getting me so excited for Game of Thrones again. Right. Then I am yours, my lady. I will shield your back and give my life for yours if it comes to that. I swear it by the old gods and the new. Do you guys have anything? I have. Jason, what do you have? You do? Yep. You do not. I have the beauty. Good job, Brienne Ah. the beauty. Ah. I only remember that because it was like, you know, obviously not the truth. Oh, he's kicking your butt now, Shell. I'm kicking so your no, booty. There's no way I could win beauty. now. We I, need to do a bonus question. I'll give you guys a one final one at the end. I have two people that aren't part of the list. I have tons of people that aren't oh, part of the list. Okay. But I'm going to give you, you a different kind. Playing until I beat him. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Final question in the main round. Number 20. Rob Stark. I may know this one. What was Rob Stark's Rabbit. nickname? I miss Rob. Oh. Who doesn't? Mr. Handsome. Oh my God, I forgot. I don't remember. Hmm. I believe I've got this one. Would you like to see? All right, yes, let's see let's what you have. It. Is it? It is the young wolf. Jason, you were close, wolf. but I put no gray cigar. Wolf. Jason put the gray wolf. That's because mm. his wolf's name was Gray Wind. Uh, gray you mixed Wind, them yes, up. Christina, would you know all of these without looking them up? I knew most of them, yes. She would have kicked our asses. I I would have done pretty well. Although you guys did amazingly well. Jason, that gives you 15 and a half. Michelle, 14 and a half. Woo. So you were neck and neck. Would you like me to give you one final bonus question? Let's do it. Okay. This is a different kind of question. It is not nickname trivia. Okay. In Westeros, bastards born to nobles were given names that were different from their fathers, according to the region they were born in, mostly associated with the geographic or climatic features of the region. For instance, bastards born in the north were called snow. Oh, why do you take, you, you Johnson, take the good, easy Because that one ones. was too easy. It was too easy. That now, would have never been a tiebreaker. There are others that are also too easy because if I give you the region, that will give you the name. So I'll give you one okay. that is not the same as the name of the region. Okay. But you guys might still know it. So what do they call the bastards from Dorn? Dorn. What is their last name? <laughs> 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 oh man what do they give them as a last name correct remember these names are according to region and they are only one word always that's a good guess that's true of another bastard region on the list what Jason said Just... stone but that's actually what they call bastards from the veil oh guys come on does he have it 
No. No, what is that? <laughs> Gray water? Gray water. No, the answer is sand. Sand. The sand I snakes. Alaria sand. Easy. I know so, a, a lot of the other Those ones. from the riverlands are rivers. The stormlands are storm. The reach is flowers. flowers. The veil is stone. Whatever. Fuck you. I thought that would be easy. <laughs> I'm sorry. But Jason, you should be happy because that means you still won. Lewis, I hope you're proud of me. You won by one point, And you guys, out of 20 questions, I mean, that was really great. So if you got 15 questions or more correct, count yourself in the top tier of Game of Thrones fans. You know your stuff. That's what I do. I drink and I know things. All right. Good job, Jason and Michelle. We hope all you guys did well out there, too. Next, we're going to get into our season six recap. You do not want to miss this. We are going to go over the important plot points by location. And we'll also talk about the differences in those locations from book to TV. So what did they change? The War of the Five Kings, once thought to be drawing to a close, is instead entering a new and more chaotic phase in Season 6. Westeros is on the brink of collapse, and many are seizing what they can while the realm implodes. So let's take you back. We'll start off with King's Landing. When we last left off, Cersei had caused the destruction of the Great Sept of Baelor using wildfire. This led to the death of Marjorie, Loras, the High Sparrow, and lots of other people. Marjorie tried to warn the High Sparrow that this would happen, but no one listened. Simultaneously, Kyburn lured Pycelle to his chambers, and the little bird stabbed him to death. Also, Lancel discovered the wildfire under the sept and was killed. I have so many questions, I wouldn't even know where to start. <laughs> where did all the wildfire come from? The only other time on the TV series that we've seen it was during the Battle of Blackwater when we lost Davos's son, correct? Yes. And when Tyrion was out fighting. And Tyrion made, made his great chain, which trapped them all in the Blackwater Bay. And that's why they, they lit it up. Now, that's a great question. If you guys don't remember the history of this, this goes back to the Mad King, King Ares. There were always what's called pyromancers in this world people that worked with fire and what they called the substance. As you know, George R.R. R. Martin takes a lot of this from real history, some from mythology. If you remember something they used to call Greek fire, it was fire that burned so hot that it turned green and it burned for a very long time. Mm -hmm. That's what they call wildfire or the substance here. King Ares, the Mad King, when he started to go crazy, only trusted his lead pyromancer. And he had him for a long time working all the other pyromancers to death to create as much wildfire as they could and storing it in random places under King's Landing should he need to use it. Was it supposed to be hidden? Who found it? Obviously, Cersei found it. And if you remember, Bran kept having nightmares or visions, visions of it. Yes, know? that's absolutely correct. So... There were always stories about this. They uncovered the caches. I actually think it might have been Tyrion and not Cersei who discovered the wildfire, but Cersei really latched onto that as her idea. Yeah, typical so, Cersei fashion. The difference from the book was that Cersei had the Tower of the Hand burned, not the Great Sept of Baelor, and no one was harmed during this. Also, Mace, Marjorie, Loras, Lancel, Tommen, and the High Sparrow are all still alive in the books at this point. Wow. You have to remember we left off on the cliffhanger of Jon Snow's death in the books. Was he alive or was he not? 
they have moved on, even last season incorporated some elements that we don't know from the books yet because Winds of Winter isn't out. These things may be yet to come, and we just haven't read them yet, but they are airing on TV first. The explosion at the Sept has got to be the second biggest mass killing as far as how many main characters you lose at one time, probably since the Red Wedding. That's correct, and also one of the biggest shockers for book readers that we didn't know about that we got to see on TV for the first time before reading it. The resurrection of John and the wildfire are two major events. I had a feeling during the season that the High Sparrow would get killed by this, but I didn't think that all the others were going to be killed as well. It's crazy. As you, well you, as Marjorie. Yeah, exactly. Because you follow, you know, the tropes of normal TV shows and you're like, they've invested way too much time in us getting to know these characters, getting to know their backgrounds, learning to hate them, learning to love them, learning to understand them. You don't see the fact that now they're going to kill them. You know, you just, they still surprise you, even though you know that's what they do to you. It was a big surprise for me, too. There were a couple of holy shit moments. The Hodor death moment was one that I didn't know that about. That was amazing. Um, with a big loss associated. Also, the death of Summer, I didn't know about there. And then you come here, I had no idea we were going to lose all these people, and many of them mid-plot. So Marjorie was in the middle of her scheme to take the power back. The High Sparrow, I feel like we never really got his whole full story, so you just didn't expect them to go that soon. Marjorie had gotten herself in a great position being married to Tommen, who was so easy for her to control. I can't imagine that her grandmother, Lady Olena, is going to take this... She's going to know that Cersei was behind it. Yeah, well, we saw her last move last season was to go down to Dorne and tell them she wanted to team up with them for the chance to get revenge on the Lannisters. And then we see them joining up with Danny. So Cersei is really going to be up Shit's Creek starting next season. Also, Loras in the books was never arrested or put on trial, and he never joined the Faith. He was sent by Cersei to conquer Dragonstone, where he was gravely injured. And it was Varys, not Kyburn, who had Pycelle murdered. Hmm. Say that again. It was Varys, okay. the spider, not Kyburn, who had Pycelle murdered. Grand Maester Pycelle. So I wish we could get some of the writers, some of the directors from the show, when they get together in a room and think about where they want the story to go. Some, some things that they change don't seem to make such a big difference and it makes you wonder why they chose to have certain characters killed off in different ways yeah and as we go along the seasons diverge more and more from the books and I often wonder if this is a result of them not having the source material so now Benioff and Weiss have to go with the vague outline they know from what George R.R. Martin has told them where the books are winding up but kind of go with their own vision and I think that means they're going to plug in details that make that work And we're really going to get strong into that in season seven. We have left the roadmap behind. Is this the first season they're totally on their own with no help, no input, no guidelines from Martin? Yeah, I think it was half and half last season. They still had book material that they hadn't covered. They had a roadmap. As I said, they do have some direction from when Martin had initially sat down with them and told him his idea of where the story was ultimately going to go so that hopefully they will wind up at the same major points. But a lot of this will be original for them. 
Also in King's Landing, while all of this was happening, Cersei, if you remember, was busy torturing Septa Unella in the dungeons. <laughs> At which time, Tommen was left alone to witness the explosion and jumped out of the window to his death. At the end oh. of the scene, Jaime and Bronn returned from the Riverlands to witness the burning ruins and Cersei being crowned the new queen with Kyburn as her hand. Now the difference here, in the book, Cersei never raised Tommen to be strong. She did that with Joffrey and then kind of realized her mistake. So on the contrary, whenever he showed signs of defiance, Tommen that is, she ruthlessly suppressed him by having his whipping boy, Pate, beaten. So because you couldn't actually beat a king or a princeling, they would have a whipping boy. And whenever you were in trouble, they would bring him in and whip him instead. Jesus. Also, at this point in the books... Jamie loathes Cersei because she has been sleeping with tons of different men in an attempt to get her own power and control in King's Landing. And finally, no one except Cersei and Kyburn knows for sure the true identity of Sir Robert Strong, even though many people have suspicions. So they don't actually know that this is the mountain. Does that make a difference? I don't know, but I feel like they must be going somewhere with him. They've paid so much attention to him, even in the books. His relationship with his brother, everybody was predicting that that was going to be a major showdown between the Hound and the Mountain, brother to brother, and that still hasn't yeah. happened yet. They were calling it the Clegane Bowl. And now when we left off season six, does Cersei know that her son Tommen is dead? Yes, she does, and she's actually believed that's been coming for a long time now because of the prophecy she got as a child oh, I remember that. from Maggie the Frog mm-hmm. that all of her children would die someday. Gold would be their crowns and gold their shrouds. Are we supposed to be under the impression that she's aware that her actions directly caused him to jump out the window? Do you think she th- believes that? I do think she knows to a certain extent, but she also feels like this was predestined. It was fated a long time ago, and there was really nothing she could do to stop it. And so instead of grieving the way she did for Joffrey, she has become hardened now. There's nothing left to lose, and it's time for her to get her revenge. Well, I was just going to say that she seemed increasingly less and less or decreasingly emotional about each child's death. Starting with Joffrey, she was devastated. And then with her daughter, Marcella, Marcella, she was still upset, but a little bit less upset. And then with Tom and it was like, well, he's dead. I'm yeah. queen now. There was almost no emotional reaction from her. Exactly. And even over the stuff that's happening with Jamie. I mean, Jamie used to be her everything and she couldn't do any of this without him. And she could almost give two fucks when he returns and he's an unto pleased with her. So I'm interested to see where their relationship goes moving forward. They're really all each other has left against a world full of enemies that are going to be knocking at their door sometime very soon, including Danny and a gigantic army and three dragons. He's going to have to jump ship. He's going to have to pick a new team. That was going to be my question later on. Do you guys think he will stay and fight for her when this army shows up? I think at least at first he will for sure. And if he doesn't get killed, the part of me that always wants everyone to be a good guy says that he's going to join. This is what I think is going to happen. There's going to be war all next season. Okay. That's why there's only seven episodes. Maybe the first episode is going to be, you know, storyline getting us prepared. And the rest are going to be war. But it's going to be all these 
different wars. There's going to be war for the crown or war for the throne. Then there's going to be war with the White Walkers. And I believe what's going to happen is the ones left standing after the war for the crown will end up helping fighting against the White Walkers, mainly because the White Walkers are already going to be right there. Another repeat, if we look back in Game of Thrones history, there was the Long Night, and that was the longest stretch of winter in known history. We hear about winters lasting years. This one lasted decades. They said babies were born, lived, and died all in darkness. (laughs) And they really just waged war against the Walkers for a long time. And then you had the Battle for the Dawn, which is when it all ended. And so throughout this history now of our Game of Thrones, you've had tons of imagery. It's really, though, culminating in season seven. We'll talk about it more next time. The promotional photos, the posters, the trailers that are coming out, the fire and ice theme, Mm. right? It's coming to the forefront. You even got that where they aired the premiere date for the season. You had the video that HBO did where they just melted the block of ice with fire and it went on for a long time until finally live feed yeah it was a live feed till it melted completely and then they aired the premiere date so they're really really bringing that to the forefront and that's how we know the winds of winter this is time you know the starks have been saying it forever winter is finally come in this season yeah their new promo images says winter is here Mm -hmm. it's close up of their faces so in my mind that makes it it seems too obvious it it sounds like well the dragons are going to come over and kill the white walkers dragons are going to come with danny well whenever you think it's too obvious something else is going to happen it probably is too obvious. my heart is going to be broken because i know dragons will die and that's going to kill me not only that jason what did you just say earlier on today though well we know that fire can kill white walkers except for the main four or five yeah so if you go back to again book canon i forget what they call them in the tv show but The regular risen dead were called whites, W-I-G-H-T-S. The leading class, the rulers, whatever they are, were called white walkers. So the whites could be destroyed by fire, regular fire. The white walkers could not. Now, we don't know yet about dragon fire, what that will actually do. true. We know their vulnerabilities are to Valyrian steel, because we saw John kill one with his blade, and to obsidian. That we saw Sam. Dragonglass. Right. Dragonglass that we saw Sam kill them with. So what happens if dragon fire, as you're saying, does not kill them? The fire that comes from the dragons, you're saying? Exactly. Well, what about wildfire? There, we don't I know think, about that. Yeah, <laughs> I believe. I wonder if they're out of it. Well, she probably used it all. No, I think there's, pl- if there's you go more. by canon, there's plenty more. Because if we remember oh. the, the episode where when it was done... You were left sitting there and you couldn't speak, you as in me and you, when Hodor dies. Mm. They're first fending them off. And what they're doing is they, they do a ring of fire and the walkers can't get through. But right <laughs> in like this epic, heroic, but anti-heroic, just kick-ass moment, the special ones, the, what did you call them? The white, white walkers. The white, white walkers, walkers walked right through that fire with that look on their face. God, that, they got that look down pat. I love the way they make these White Walkers. Do I they think use actual people for those guys when they're filming, or is that all digitally? Real people. Real people. They use real mm-hmm. people. Yeah. Because that lead guy, he's intense. He's scary looking. I think there might be a little CG for things like his eyes, but yeah, yeah a lot of that is costuming. 
Last season in our podcast, and if you guys haven't heard it, Clatchers, definitely check that out. We went over behind the scenes and all the effects that they go through, the practical effects and the digital effects. It's pretty amazing. You definitely go back and take a listen and go check out some of those videos. You guys lead me perfectly into, while we're talking about the North, let's go on to Winterfell, where we last saw Jon Snow lead the men into the Battle of the Bastards against Ramsay. They were close to defeat when Littlefinger charges in, bringing the Knights of the Vale, and they win. Now, I want to stop there before I move on, because a big difference if you go a little further back in the books, remember what incites Jon in the first place is the pink letter that Ramsay sends him, taunting him. In the book, the contents were very different. He claimed that he had killed Stannis and was holding Mance Raider captive. He demanded that John deliver his wife, which was actually fake Arya in the books mm-hmm. as we've gone through, not Sansa. So his wife, Theon, Melisandre, Selyse, Shireen, and Mance's baby son to him. Which takes me to another point that Mance Raider is not dead in the books. It was the Lord of Bones that Stannis executed, who is disguised by Melisandre's magic to look like Mance. Oh, wow. So Melisandre was more effective in the books? A lot more magic going on early on, but... And again, we didn't know she was going to save Jon until we saw it on TV. That's some pretty serious magic. But going back to last season, also, Davos confronted Melisandre about Shireen's death. She admitted to burning her for the Lord of Light. Davos wanted to have her executed, but Melisandre said she would be needed in the Great War to come. John of said, "Of course, she says she's going to be needed." Yeah, but I kind of believe her now that I've seen what her magic can do, and I feel it's very ominous for John to pick this point in time to turn her away. And you know, he settles on exiling her from the north under the threat of execution if she ever returns. I think he will end up needing her. For God's sake, the woman just saved his life. Couldn't he at least just lock her up somewhere where he could get to her if he needs her again? Yeah, but there's there's lines. I mean, murder in these days, it's like, okay, cool. Burning a child at the stake, especially John, who's so Perfect. stand up for what's right. <laughs> there's no excusing it, but Stannis played his part in that too. I mean, he agreed to let her oh, do yeah. it. And the bottom line is... Her magic worked. Let's not forget about that. It was an impassable winter that they could not get through, Stannis and his army. And when they woke up the next morning, it had thawed. It had melted. Yeah. It seems like she doesn't really have control over her power. Like, sometimes it's on, sometimes it's off. She doesn't, because I don't think it's her power. I think she actually is tapping into the Lord of Light or whoever it is that's responding to her. I mean, we saw her give birth to a shadow baby very early on this season. We knew then her powers were real. We'll talk in our next CKC episode more about Beric Dondarrion and Thoros. But Thoros is another priest who worships the Lord of Light, and we've seen his power is real. He's brought Beric Dondarrion back from the dead six times. times. Six times? (laughs) Yeah. So of all of the religions we've gone over that are out there in this world, the one that seems to be proving itself in practical ways... Is this Lord of Light. Is this Lord of Light. And the hero that's promised, that has been prophesied, we talk about this prophecy a lot... The prince that was promised, or Azor Ahai, is supposed to come again and wield a sword called Lightbringer that radiates and glows with its own heat and light. So that sounds an awful lot like it could connect to the Lord of Light religion and might play in in our battle against the Long Winter. 
Finally, in Winterfell, John and Sansa talked. Sansa apologized. Finally. <laughs> Finally. I was getting very frustrated with her. You all know that. Later, though, Littlefinger reveals his ultimate goal to Sansa when they're in private, to sit on the Iron Throne with her at his side. And he tried to poison her against John's leadership. She didn't listen at the time. The question is, where will this go from here? Will Littlefinger be able to worm his way in there and somehow poison them against each other? Is this the first decent thing we've seen Littlefinger do? Decent... I mean, he's done deeds that seem to be good at the time, like saving Sansa and getting her out of King's Landing. That's true. He did that after the death of Joffrey, right? Correct. But this is always all part of his ultimate endgame, which is the Littlefinger yeah. endgame. And the Battle of the Bastards was the same thing. Um, I don't know that he ever does anything if it's not part of a master plan that benefits him in some way. To get him to where he wants to be. And neither of those two are falling in line right now. So <laughs> we left off last season. He was looking none too pleased, but I'm sure by now he's already altered his plans and is up to new games. In the books, Santa and Littlefinger spent much of their time at the Eyrie. Events were very different, and they are not at least yet joined up with John. John Snow's life and death, as we said, is still unknown, and his parentage is still unconfirmed, though heavily hinted at. And Brienne confirmed my ass. R plus L equals J. And Brienne and Pod searched fruitlessly through the Riverlands for Sansa in the books. They never met the Stark girls and Theon and were not involved in the northern events. The way this ended up was that John gathered all the men to plan for the upcoming invasion of the White Walkers. At first, they weren't listening to him until little lady Lyanna Mormont rallied the men. And they all ended up swearing their allegiance and proclaiming John king in the north. I almost forgot about her. I wonder if we'll see her again. Oh, I think you're going to see more of her and more of all of these northern armies that are now rallied to him. And elsewhere in the north, we saw that after saving him from an attack, Uncle Benjen left Bran near the wall, telling him its magical protection prevents the dead from passing through. Bran entered memories through the heart tree to see Ned at the Tower of Joy, ending with Lyanna's dying wish for Ned to take care of her son and keep his secret safe from Robert. We saw over the course of last season, Bran getting the start of some real visions, learning about the past, the events we talked about at the tree, the death of Hodor, the death of Summer, real blows that struck at him. We weren't sure what he was going to do next. And it's him and Mira now, just the two of them. They're standing right outside the wall. We conjectured what would happen once they go through. Is this going to disrupt somehow the magic that's on the wall that stops the White Walkers from getting through? And I really believe that that's what's going to happen, and that's what's going to start bringing winter further and further south and cause the ultimate big war. So right now, the wall is in fact keeping them in the north. It's keeping them from getting through. Yes, the magic keeps them from crossing. They can't go through the water around that's unknown okay right now we're not sure how far that extends you think they would have already if they could yeah and they lead you to believe this is all tied in with bran there's this ominous moment of him standing right outside the door at the end of the season like something really big is going to happen when he passes through what do you guys think he's supposed to do he's following this message from the raven right that's telling him to go beyond the wall 
and he doesn't know why. Yeah, the visions led him out from his home in the first place, north of the wall, to seek him out. He finally got to meet with him and was learning. It seemed like the three-eyed raven was trying to teach him about the long-distant past, the events of his father and everyone else, how that tied in with now. We're assuming because that knowledge is going to help tell them how to defeat them this time around in the war. And I think hopefully Bran will end up coming to that eventually, but I think there's going to be some mistakes along the way before he does. And how is he going to get around now? He still can't walk. Yeah, Mira's been dragging him. We saw in the season seven trailer, I won't get too far into that, but we saw him sitting in a wheelchair. So that's going to come into play. But moving on, let's take a trip down to the Riverlands. As we said, we left off where River Run fell to the Lannisters in the phrase. Edmure was a hostage, and Brynden Blackfish was assumed dead. After Walder Frey celebrated the recapture of River Run, Jamie told him that the two were not alike at all and that the Freys were only rulisters. <laughs> <laughs> And that the Freys were only rulers because of the Lannisters' power. After he Which left, is true. Th- absolutely true. After he left, Walder was eating alone and wondering where his sons were when a servant entered the room and revealed they were, in fact, there, baked into the very pie he was eating. She removed her face to reveal herself as Arya and slit his throat. Another epic scene from last Woo! season. Frey pie! We finally get Frey pies. You know, I didn't forget, forget all these scenes, but I hadn't thought about it in so long. And it's so exciting just to relive it. It's exciting to talk about that. Jason and I were less than thrilled with the overall direction that Arya took last season. Some of the stuff from the House of Black and White and how we left off there. Now in the books, Arya did kill her first target for the Faceless Men by poisoning a coin. We saw them try to give her that first job. And she was going to give the man poison. She followed through with it in the books and continued her training. She became an apprentice and was then sent to Isambaro's Theater where the TV picks up. And we do ultimately get to the Frey Pies. So glad we saw that on the show. It leaves us wondering whether she is going to continue along with her kill list because she has said Cersei's next. Will she go down to King's Landing and try to pick up with the assassination? Or will she continue north and join her family? Hopefully she joins her family. More on that next episode. Now over to Old Town. We left Sam off. <laughs> yeah, we left off with good old Sam stealing the ancestral blade Heartsbane from his family's house and arriving at the Citadel with Gilly. His father was such a dick. Totally deserved that. And now we have eyes on another Valyrian steel blade. Talk about awkward meet my parents first time. <laughs> huh. That was bad. He was such a dick in the books, too. You're always waiting for that guy to get his comeuppance. But his mom seemed nice. Yeah, I mean, you just you feel so bad for him. Everything Sam's been through. And so often he gets no respect. And now they're at the Citadel where he has no idea what's going on. He was scheduled to meet with the Archmaester. Who knows what's going to happen to Gilly, because women aren't allowed there. And while waiting, he was granted access to the library, and we see the Citadel release the White Ravens to signify winter had officially begun. Well, how do they know that? Who dictates when winter begins? The Citadel. They the, have the internet. <laughs> the Archmaesters. <laughs> the Archmaesters, they... It sounds like a church, and it kind of is, but really they were learned men. Yeah. 
you know, this is a big library. This is a place where they study things and they would, they they would send out indications about the seasons. And Sam about had an orgasm when he saw that library. So did I. Yeah, that (laughs) library was amazing. I want to get lost in that place. Now, Gilly is very special because women aren't technically allowed at the wall either. And she did find a way around that. That is true, but Sam doesn't know anybody here. He's not friends with anyone. He doesn't even know what his mission is or where he belongs. So I don't know what he thinks he's going to do with her and a baby while he studies up there. And the bigger question is, what is the ultimate goal? You know, what is he going to learn in Old Town that's going to help with these wars to come? Now, I'm going to give you guys a book difference here. I don't think it matters. I don't think there's any way it can be a spoiler because of events that have already happened. But if you're nervous about that, just fast forward one minute. In the canon, Sam and Gilly did not travel straight to Old Town, but went to Bravos first. They then went on to Old Town with Maester Eamon, who was still alive at the time, but died on the voyage. And the baby they took with them was not Gilly's, but Mance Raider's son. So John had forced Gilly to switch the babies while they were at the wall in order to prevent Melisandre from sacrificing Raider's son for King's blood, which is exactly what he would have done. So her own baby was left at the wall. John made her leave her baby there and take Mance Raider's son with her, and no one else knew of the switch. So what if they sacrificed Gilly's baby? Then it would be tough shit, but it wouldn't be the King's blood that died. Well, fuck. Can you imagine that she went along with that? And she was I like Gilly. horribly depressed the whole trip south. She was crying and Sam couldn't figure out what was wrong with her. Oh. So at least we get a little bit of a happier story there for her. All right, we have two locations left to talk about. The first one is Dorne. And not much to mention there. When we left off, as we said before... Alaria and the Sand Snakes had had Prince Doran and Arya Hota killed. Uh, though in the books, both of them are alive, along with Marcella and Tristine for right now. Wow, really? Yeah. So, again, I don't know if they are going to die also sometime soon, but they haven't yet. And there was this whole other side plot that involved them and their family that we never got into uh, with a son who was never introduced on TV. A legitimate son. So in the book, is Tommen still alive? Yes. So Cersei still has two of her three in Martin's book series right now. That's correct. Yeah, we... So that's a big difference. We assume that they're going to die because there's the same predictions and certain things are kind of headed in the same direction, but there could be a lot that changes along the way. But yeah, on the show, we saw Lady Olena going to meet with Alaria and the Sand Snakes about an alliance against the Lannisters, and Alaria was persuaded when she was offered her heart's desire, fire and blood. And those, of course, are House Targaryen words. Well, that's every woman's desire, isn't it? Fire and blood? Yeah. For sure, but Alaria probably more than any other woman. (laughs) All she wants is fire and blood. You have to assume the only thing that's motivating them and really has been the whole season is revenge for Oberyn. And before that, it was for Elia and her murdered children. Did Oberyn die the same way in the books? Yes. That was brutal. That was almost a line for line. And a lot of stuff in earlier seasons was very closely adapted. Okay, lastly, let's talk about the East. We saw Danny preparing to come to Westeros. 
She first told Dario he would not accompany her, but stay and defend Marine and the newly christened Bay of Dragons. She made Tyrion Hand of the King, and having been joined by Varys and the Dornish ships, House Tyrell, Theon, and Yara, plus all of the Dothraki, Danny and her court sailed towards Westeros with the dragons flying above them. Epic scene. Who could stand against this army now? Well, herself, meaning she could make some mistakes. She can get in her head. But also, we're no longer dealing with just humans. And this is what has me very, very concerned. And also, I'm freaking out because I could have the people I love and my favorites and I can root for them. And it helped because they were in different regions. But now when we're having this all-out war, the good part is it's not just for the Battle of the Thrones anymore. But if it just was that, I love Jon Snow. Yeah. Well, we want to see her I demolish love... Cersei. Yes. But then course. what? Exactly. I don't want to see her and Jon fight because I won't know who to root for. No, we want to see her and Jon have steamy Make out hot sex. <laughs> and that's what everyone assumes is going to happen. Even if they don't have a romantic relationship, they will end up teaming up for the sake of fighting the walkers. I hope so. That's going to be epic. Although, they are fire and ice. Time oh, because true. Jamie and Cersei are brother and sister and sleeping together. But if John's parents are who we think they are, does that make Danny and John related somehow? They are very slightly related because Rhaegar was her brother that she never met, and John would have been Rhaegar's son. So Danny could be John's cousins. Aunt? Aunt, sort aunt. of. <laughs> but in this day and age, that was like nothing. That was like being strangers. That was nothing at all. And, you know, they're stark in him, so that makes them different enough, and they would be fire and ice. We've talked about that a lot. That would be the ultimate combination that we're looking for. Although, as far as what you said, Jason, Danny's made very few mistakes if you think about her evolution from where she started to where she is now. And considering she started so young yeah. and, and kind of naive to ruling. Yeah. Yes, but she has been... Before Tyrion came into play... She was lost. She did not know what to do. Tyrion came in, and he was the brains. And I was so happy when he entered. Because I was like, this is exactly what she needs. She needs she guidance. She has him. You have to admit, she has, though, had some pretty good guidance. In the beginning, she had Jorah. Right. And he was really her right-hand man, steered her in the right direction. When she lost him, she picked up Barristan Selmy, who I loved to death. Still can't yep. believe that guy's gone. And then... Kind of as soon as he left, she got Tyrion. So she is smart enough to know, I think, what areas she lacks in and what she doesn't know. And she's willing to, as long as people swear her loyalty and to be on her side, to take them in as part of her team and utilize right. them. I mean, look she's at this strange... She takes them in <clears throat> to give her advice, and then they do give her advice, and most of the time she doesn't listen to it. Well, she does and she doesn't. I think she's a good ruler in the sense that she listens. She takes it into consideration, but at the end of the day, she knows she needs to be strong. And sometimes that means kind of even going against what her first inclination would be. But she's got this really bizarre grouping of people now. If you think about she has the Unsullied, the awesome. most fiercely trained warriors. She has the Dothraki but neither of whom know anything about winter or will deal well with that at all if that's what oh, they're faced with. 
True you know, that. that that's going to be a real stumbling block for them. She's got Tyrion, which is going to be a huge bonus on her side. She now has Theon and Yara, and I don't know how that fits in, but I was going to say the other threat to her, don't forget about Euron Greyjoy. So he's out there. He's pissed that Theon and Took Yara stole a portion of the Iron Fleet, and we don't know how many ships he has left or has built since then, but he is I definitely coming after them. Ugh. And I have a feeling he's going to go to King's Landing and team up with Cersei, and that'll yeah. make kind of a formidable enemy once they get there. I mean, they would have to because alone, neither of them, I don't think, would stand a chance. She's got dragons. I still don't think they stand a chance (laughs) against dragons. Another minor spoiler alert. This is from the books earlier on and nothing confirmed. It's speculation even in the books. But if you're afraid of that, jump forward 20 seconds. There were rumors that perhaps Euron had a way to combat dragons, whether it was to tame them or take their power away. We don't know. Also, we have to remember that the dragons are very volatile. They're not like pets. They're not like the wolves where you can count on them. Yeah. <clears throat> so they might be there for Danny one minute and then gone the next minute because they're hungry and or tired. Or eating goats or small children. Yeah. So we'll see them help for sure, but I'm sure there's going to be times this season where we're like, where are the dragons? She needed them right now. Why aren't they there? And I'm Yeah, they're uh, not I, reliable. That's going to happen. Well, and like Michelle saying, they're handy in a battle, but then what happens after the war is over? Mm. If you're trying to keep them around in a kingdom with people that you want to love you and be <laughs> ruled underneath you and they're going around roasting goats, small yeah. children. Roasting little kids. Not, not cool. Also, let's not forget about the fact that last season we learned the dragons were okay with Tyrion. Mm. So why is that? Is there Targaryen in his blood? Is there something we don't know about that makes him able to be near them and not get roasted? He's too small to eat. it would not fill them up i only saw that as they respected him they were intelligent enough to know that he was there to help them and that he was somebody that their their mother Daenerys trusted i thought that at first too except what seemed to calm them was when he told the story about wanting a dragon when he was young like you said almost as though they understood that yeah and what does that mean yeah you know, plus we keep going back to in the books. I think they've even mentioned it on TV. There will be three riders, three dragons, three riders. They have said that. So Tyrion, Jon Snow. And Danny. And Danny. That would, I mean, I don't know for sure, but that would be awesome. If John, <laughs> that would be. If John and Tyrion both have part Targaryen blood, that would be your three Targaryens. So a lot of people are kind of theorizing about that and looking for that to come. Or John and Danny could make three beautiful babies, and those will be your three riders. Well, we've talked about also, uh, you know, other spoilers, that there were hints in the book about Tyrion, because unlike on the TV show, he had one eye that was purple and much lighter colored hair, which were all Targaryen features. Oh, and Daenerys can't have children. Correct. Well, unless in some weird, twisted way that prophecy comes true... When the sun rises in the west and sets in the east, blah, 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 blah. (laughs) That's right. Last, let me give you the differences in this area. We have discussed in previous podcasts that in the books, Danny is not immune to fire. Okay, she does badly burn her hands after riding Drogon out of Marine. And Martin has stated it would be the same. She's simply more tolerant and able to heal quicker. It was not Jorah who contracted Grayscale. 
but a character called John Griff Cunnington, one of the people who traveled east with Tyrion and had another side plot that I don't think they'll be introducing on the show. Theon did not return to the Iron Islands, which, by the way, their chair is called the Sea Stone Chair, not the Salt Throne. After escaping Winterfell, he was brought to Stannis' camp, where he reunited with Yara, who was also held prisoner there. And he never admitted the children he killed were not Bran and Rickon, Thus, anyone else who heard about the alleged killing of the Stark boys would have believed it was them. Dion was not present at the King's Moot, and Euron never admitted he killed Balon. It is still unclear if he was the murderer, although it seems pretty obvious that he was. Hmm. So, a lot of book differences for those characters as well. So, the TV storyline has far surpassed where the books left off. Yes, the TV skipped over some... Plot lines that seemed pretty big in the books, but a lot of readers are now conjecturing that those could have been red herrings. Uh, Martin loves to do that, and the fact that the show hasn't included them means they won't be important, which is a little disappointing, but I can see where their focus is honing in on TV, and I think what's left are the essentials now. So we need Martin on this podcast. <laughs> to clear a few things up for us. That would be awesome. We need Martin to clear a lot of things up, and we are going to talk about that again on next cast, what is happening with the Winds of Winter book and everything else to expect season seven and moving forward. Yeah, we have a lot of information, and we're not holding out on you. We're just splitting it up in a more digestible manner. Christina and I have spoke about this a little on our own. How hard it must be for a writer to allow somebody to make a TV series before you're done with a project. I mean, talk about throwing a wrench into the creative process. Especially since it takes him longer than most authors to write books. But then again, these books are way more detailed than most novels are. Do you think he watches the show? Oh, yeah. He does. The first couple of seasons, he was really close. He was really intricate into the making of the show. Even, I think, some of the writing. Now, like, what if he watches this next season and he thinks, wow, that's not where I was going to go with it, but I like that a lot better. He He gave them little pins main parts of things that he foresaw happening in his story. So you think he has his major plot points basically mapped out already? Yes, and I don't think they're going to do him wrong. And we won't go into this. This is for next episode. But he is going to be a big part in this spinoff or it's not a spinoff. It's other storyline. Uh, prequel. Th- prequel. Uh, storyline that they're going to be coming out with in a few years. He's writing the books. So they're not going to do anything to piss him off. He's making so much money. (laughs) No. In fact, though, guys, I I think that it could happen vice versa, that even if this is where he intended, where Martin intended the books to go, now that the TV show is done, I think he might want to get the last word. And what's to stop him from changing something now? Oh, for sure. So that his canon is the last official canon, even if that's where he meant to go with it in the first place. Yeah, and, you know, once he has time to really think it through, and as he's writing, he may change his mind just organically as well. But I don't think we're going to see those books for many years now. It's already been, what, five or six years? Since the last Since one? the last book that we've been waiting on Winds of Winter. Yeah. And this wow. is the longest stretch between any Game of Thrones books to come out so far. So you feel like the two have to be connected, the release of the TV show with the... No, the TV show is going to be completely different storylines, completely different characters. No, I think you're saying the main Game of Thrones 
TV show, correct? The main Game of Thrones oh, Game I'm of sorry. Thrones TV show has the release of that created why he's taking so long this gap in release of books. Yeah, and he said that his schedule has gotten super busy between his involvement that he's had with the TV show, um, now the involvement with thinking of these stories for the prequel and other books that he's writing. So when the show first started to come out, he had already been done with the other books. I mean, this is really the trying to have it all happen at the same time. But I also kind of speculated for a while if he was waiting until he had both of the last two books done, Winds of Winter and A Dream of Spring, so that they could release close on the heels after the TV show ended. Well, sorry, we didn't mean to get into all of that until next episode. We still have tons more information for you next time. But here, I have a couple more fun facts to share with you in speaking about what goes into Martin developing these stories when it comes to science, technology, and magic. Westeros' development in science and technology is comparable to real-life late medieval levels. We've always known that, right? Martin's novels are loosely inspired by the War of the Roses, the dynastic conflict that occurred in England between 1455 and 1487, following the country's defeat in the Hundred Years' War, right before the use of gunpowder and cannons revolutionized medieval warfare and brought it into the early modern era. But recorded history is vastly longer in the fantasy world. The Valyrian Freehold existed for 5,000 years before its fall. Written history in Westeros began with the Andal invasion 6,000 years ago, and it's possible that in earlier ages when magic was more prevalent, there was less drive to innovate new science, leaving technology static for many centuries. Why would they need to create things if they had magic, right? That'd be awesome. So that brings us to magic, which was occasionally referred to as the higher mysteries. It is believed in Westeros, if magic ever did exist, it's now gone from the world. Only one in every hundred maesters even bother to study the subject anymore, long enough to earn their Valyrian steel link in their chain. Nevertheless, magic is still practiced in Essos, and with the rebirth of dragons, it seems to be slowly coming back, and practitioners have seen their power increase. We talked about this with the Lord of Light and Melisandre, in canon, they believe dragons have a strong connection to this magic. And the reason there's a resurgence is because dragons are back in the world. And we've seen a couple of different kinds of magic. We've seen blood magic, right? The kind that was practiced by... The, the red ma- woman. Well, yeah, I wasn't even going to say that. But the magi in the Dothraki Sea, the one who promised Danny that she could bring Drogon back to life... Mm-hmm. And she said that she just needed his horse, but really what she took from her was their baby. Yeah. So you got yeah. that type of blood magic. Then you got Lord of Light magic. So we saw the shadow birthing that Melisandre did. And this kind of magic comes from Ashai, the area that we know very little about. A possible topic for one of the prequels, which I would really like to hear about. Very bizarre place. You also have the kind of magic that seems to belong to the children of the forest and people like Bran. So there's green sight, the ability to have prophetic dreams, and there's also warging, the ability to enter the mind of an animal, as we Mm. see with all of the wolves and Stark children. That's one magic I would like to have, warging. Warging. Because blood magic, you got to hurt people and things Mm -hmm. to do it. Warging, you don't. You can be one with... Mother Nature. And if I could warg into Achilles, our bird, <laughs> know what he's thinking all the time. If you guys haven't read the books, you need to read one of the prequel chapters 
talks about another warg and his experiences from firsthand point of view, him going yeah. into different animals and oh, what happens. Cool. It's really intense because it's not just wolves. He's able to go into all kinds of animals. Is that something you could read on air? We could do a part of that, yeah. That'd be cool. That'd be great. You know what I would do at warging? So I'd go to work, but I'd leave on HBO. And then I'd go to work, close my office door, and then warg into Achilles and watch TV. (laughs) (laughs) Never mind Save the World or anything like that. No, I'd watch HBO. (laughs) No, this is totally off topic, but it made me think about it. There's a couple animals that are super important in the show, like dire wolves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The Dothraki are so dependent on their horses for their lifestyle. Do you think they're leaving them behind now when they're coming to Westeros? The first time they took them on the ships, they talked about having the horses there too, but I don't see any way they can take all of them. There was a lot of ships. They're going to need to have some because that's, that's how they do battle. And that's like, that's what they they're do. everything. That's how they travel. That's how they hunt. That's how they fight. That's They worship horse gods. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and we also talked about the fact Speaking of important animals, the wolves and the warging ability was such a major factor in the books. I'm not sure why that was removed so heavily from the TV shows. Yeah, I wish it wasn't. But both the wolves themselves and the Stark character connection to them was extremely important. We do wolf watch on all of our Game of Thrones episode reviews. We talk about throughout the seasons what wolves were left, where (laughs) we last saw them, what was happening to them. Oh, how sad. Unfortunately, I have to give you the count. So we are down to one, possibly two of six. You had Lady, who is Sansa's, Mm -hmm. dead. Dead. Killed by Cersei and Robert. Two was Shaggy Dog. That was Rickens. Dead. Killed by Ramsay. Three, you had Grey Wind. That was Rob's. Dead. Killed at the Red Wedding. Number four, Summer, Bran's wolf. Dead, the most recent one. Killed defending Bran at the Weirwood. Number five, you have Nymeria, which was Arya's. She is assumed alive. Although we haven't seen her in quite some time. She was last seen in the Riverlands. And six, you have Ghost. The only one definitively still alive. So if they had a bigger purpose in the books, it just seems like the TV show has never going to get into that they've kind of just canceled it out maybe with john but it will kind of be exclusive to his relationship with ghost and not the bigger picture all right michelle any final thoughts as we're gearing up Uh, you know i know we didn't really get into our major theories and predictions but anything you want to put out on the table since you won't be with us next time possibilities are endless <laughs> but no pet theory that you've been nursing kind of throughout the years with GOT I am starting to think that there won't be one huge hero mm. it seems that everyone that's left is going to have a key part so besides the fact that all of our main characters are getting closer in proximity geographically than they've ever been throughout the series um I think everybody that's left Arya John Daenerys, Tyrion. Cersei, and Tyrion. I think they're all going to have to play a big role. And Sam. I hope Sam comes in as the underdog with whatever knowledge he learns in Old Town. Me too. And Jason and I talked about how it could be very easy for Jamie to die soon, but I really want to see him live and come over to the side of good, finally. The good side, I know. He's gone back and forth. I've never 
felt the way I do about another character as I do about Jamie. I've hated him and I've loved him. For some reason, the first scene he was ever in on the show is like burned in my memory when he pushed mm -hmm. poor Bran out the window. Everyone. And I can't believe Martin is such an amazing writer to take us from hating a character more than we ever have to rooting for him. Yeah. To having him heroically jump in a bear pit to save Brienne. He's had an amazing character evolution. So like you said, I hope they don't spend all that time on him just to have him killed off unless it's in a heroic way, at least. I know I want to see him just be done with Cersei. <laughs> I'm with you on everything that you've said, and, and this is, that's how I want it to go, but this is Game of Thrones. <laughs> so I know. I think we're going to see them starting to work together after a few of them have died, of the main characters, through the war, still the Game of the Thrones, and then when they all smarten up, I, man, I hate to say this, but there's going to be one left standing. That's it. Do you think so? One Lannister really? or one main character? One main character one left main standing character. after next season. I used to think that way. I I'm starting to think maybe not. Hopefully at least two. If there was one, I really believe it's John, John is a very strong contender. As much as Danny might seem to be powerful, I think her army's going to get cut down in size once winter comes in a big way. But I think there are going to be a few main characters we're left with. I do think we're only going to be left with one Lannister, and it's likely it's Tyrion. And unfortunately, I, I think so. Jamie yeah. and Tyrion are going to come head to head before Ooh, this is over. I like that. And oh, and I hope not. I like their relationship. I know, but they didn't leave off on such good terms, and they're on opposite sides of the battlefield now. And also a tease for next episode. Sorry to keep doing this, but <laughs> I think Jon Snow is going to die one more time. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, that's Jay's big theory. We'll, <laughs> really? We'll elaborate next time. But we'll see him again. Oh, cliffhanger. <laughs> you got to stay tuned. Well, it wouldn't be the Game of Thrones that we know and love if we got the storyline that we all wanted. Yeah. Part of Although, why we love it is because it doesn't go in the direction that you want it to go. They did bring John back to life, something we couldn't have wanted more, and they finally gave us something. They gave us the one thing we wanted most. Well, if you were Team John. Who is it? I'm still Was Team it? Rob. <laughs> oh, get off the podcast, Team Rob. You're living in yesteryear. Come on, Clatchers. It's called the Red Wedding, sweetheart. <laughs> the Red Woman could still bring him back. Darwini oh, Darwinian. Only the strongest survive. <laughs> yeah, well, they put a wolf head on him. I mean, they really on desecrated poor Rob. That's right. Well, listen, there's so much more to talk about, but I think we're going to wrap it for this episode here. Michelle, thank you so much. We finally got you back on to talk about Game of Thrones. Hopefully you'll be back again this season to talk more with us. I'll be back again for another trivia game because I cannot go down in podcast <laughs> history as a trivia loser. You know how competitive we are. By one point, two. By one point. Listen. Because you didn't give me snake in the grass. <laughs> and you should have gotten Yeah, but I didn't get half a creativity. point for night. Yeah, you still would have been even. Okay. I didn't give him night. But well, you guys did really well. That that was fun and there are I actually have a whole book of Game of Thrones actual trivia, so like facts about different things. And oh, um cool. in a future episode we could definitely do that. And you're never allowed to play. <laughs> I know. I'm stuck <laughs> stuck being the mediator, but that's kind of fun too. Yeah, I've never spoken less in one podcast, but it's kind of cool to sit back and, and just let it happen. One of our goals at CKC is to 
just like magicians, have one actor, at least one, on the podcast this season. Obviously, we can't choose the largest of the large. Like, we can't get Kit Harrington. Jason, you're telling me no Jon Snow? No, I don't think he'll he'll come yeah, on. aim high. He might. <laughs> Listen, well, let's Kit. try him. Let's try him. But I was Kit, thinking... you're welcome. If you're hearing this, <laughs> oh, I'd like to bring in Ghost. <laughs> we would like to get either... John Bradley, who plays Sam. I would love to have Sam on. Or Macy Williams. That would be amazing. So, we need the Clatcher's help. If you could start tweeting at them with at CKC Podcast and start asking them to come on our podcast, we might have them on and we can have another epic episode like we did with Arjun Gupta. And truth be told, I would love any single actor on Game of Thrones to come on here. Every one of them is amazing and it would be an honor. That about wraps up the season six recap. And we'll see you next week for the season seven prepper. Thank you so much to Third Wave Water for promoting this podcast. If you ever want to have that perfect cup of coffee from your home and not have to worry about the expensive beans or getting that $600 machine that you don't even know how to use. Well, Jason, don't act like it's actually magic. You still do need coffee beans, okay? But this is going to help you get your water perfect. The product comes in a box with individual packets, and they have minerals in them. So you add the packet to a gallon of distilled water, and now you're ready to make brewing magic. So I don't even have to measure. (laughs) That's true. Third wave water makes it easy for you. If you're a coffee lover, you know that the quality of the water affects the way your coffee tastes. This is a no-brainer for as little as 10 cents per cup. We've tried it. We can attest to it. Just go to thirdwavewater.com and use the promotional code CLATCH for 10% off your first order. That's promo code CLATCH, K-L-A-T-C-H, for 10% off. Until next week, this round's on me. This round is on me. And now their watch is ended.